News Talk 1110 WBT. Pete Callender here, 704-570-1110 and uh, 1-800-WBT-1110. And you can email Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com. And uh, remember, get the podcast at wbt.com. I want to welcome, actually, back to the program. It's Randy Wheelis from Duke Energy. Hey, Randy, how are you? Hey, doing great. Uh, storm coverage or what? Or is that no? Right? Uh, no. <laughs> now, let's talk about a little solar power today. Uh, I got a got a couple of new solar plants going online for Duke Energy this week, and uh, uh, you know, keep continuing that solar energy in North Carolina, which we are one of the nation's leader. Yeah, no, I just I feel like uh, I feel like I need to ask you about storm stuff just because I don't think like I come back to town and now we've got storms like every single weekend. Uh, it's not my fault. It's just coincidental. So. I could take a week off from storms. I've had a couple <laughs> weeks straight, so uh, I wouldn't mind just uh, watching some football games this week and not worrying about the storms. Yeah, no, I hear you. So uh, let's all right. So let's talk real quick. There was a big announcement on uh, solar energy in North Carolina, which I was actually I kind of knew this was the direction that the state was going on solar energy. But I was kind of surprised to learn that we are actually one of the leaders in the nation when it comes to uh, production of solar energy. And Duke Energy is obviously huge in that space. What, 4,100 megawatts of solar power on the grid in the state right now? And you got some more plants coming online. Do you, well, do you call them plants, solar power plants? you call them plants? You know, you used to call them solar farms, but now yeah. we're starting to call them solar plants solar power plants because they're just you know really except the fuel they use they're basically just like another power plant and so you got two coming online you got one in cleveland county the broad river plant and uh one in cabarrus county the speedway solar plant is that at the speedway no it's it's actually near the (laughs) old concord speedway it's in Ah. the town of midland uh really it's probably the nearest large solar farm to downtown charlotte i think it's 18 miles you could be from that solar farm to trade and try on street in Charlotte. So, uh, you know, start, solar power is starting to get a little closer to the city of Charlotte. I don't think we're going to see it in the city limits anytime soon, but uh, that's one that's probably as near downtown Charlotte as any. So I actually do know um, a little bit about that area. I have some uh, I have in-laws that live sort of out past Midland, and so uh, there are a bunch of solar farms that have been uh, established out there. And I get when you go out there and you see it. I mean, it's it, it's pretty obvious. So I l- let me throw out to you the the question that I usually get. Uh, well, I used to get it all the time. There was a former NASA engineer that used to listen to the show when I was up in Asheville. And uh, he would always call any time the solar, pan, uh, solar power topic came up, or energy, and in, in, in really uh, in any context, he would always call, and he would always say that solar power is piddle power, is what he called it, piddle power. <laughs> he was not a fan. So how, uh, like how, how has the technology gotten better? Is it comparable? Can it uh, fill gaps? Is does it generate enough? Yeah. You know, really over the past decade, the cost of solar panels and the, the building methods have gotten better, too. But solar panels prices have come down. So really, when you're talking about the cost of energy, solar is pretty competitive with really any other form of energy. Now, you can't go solely solar power. I mean, there's such things as darkness and other mm-hmm. things going on. But, you know, you put that in a balanced portfolio with nuclear and natural gas, hydro, coal, you've got a pretty good energy mix for North Carolina. And a lot of it's, 
you know, carbon free. If that's if you follow that, I mean, when you got nuclear power, which is about half of the electricity in North Carolina, that's carbon free. Now you've got solar being built a lot, and that's carbon free as well. So, and that is the main advantage. It sounds like right when it, it, that it doesn't have the the emissions issue because I've heard people also complain that the solar panels themselves there are questions about what happens after they hit the end of their life cycle just I mean all of this stuff in many these manufactured products I guess these are always concerns so the the real benefit it sounds like is quote-unquote you know clean emissions right that's the that's the clean part of the energy Right. I mean, definitely, you know, no emissions to the environment. The fuel is basically free. And, you know, that's important now when you look at natural gas and how that price has fluctuated the last year or so. So you've got that. And really, you know, we have a decommissioning plan for all of our solar projects that the solar panels are basically glass and that can be recycled and also there's a lot of aluminum in the racking and that can be recycled too so there's definitely a plan for a solar farm that will probably go for about another 20 years is that is that the the lifespan of the panels about 20 years about 20, 25 years. I mean, there is some degradation in the solar panels as time goes on. So we, we figure in about 20 years we'll have to decommission those projects. And maybe there's another great solar panel being manufactured in 20 years that we can replace it with. That's a really good point because a lot of times – we forget, and this is, I'll never forget, like the, uh, you know, the population bomb, Paul Ehrlich talking about, you know, we're going to overpopulate the planet and all this stuff, but there's never like an accounting for advancements in the technology side, which then allows us, like, for in that example, in that analogy, you know, to feed more of the people because we've got better farming technologies uh, and the science allows us to grow, you know, bigger crops and more crops and in, in, in areas where we couldn't before. And so, there, yeah, I mean, they're... I, I, I am generally speaking an all of the above kind of guy on all of this stuff. Uh, you know, I don't like all I don't like subsidies because I'm a lowercase l libertarian. So, but if if things if these different sources can compete, then I'm fine with it. And that's and this solar these projects are and these are part of what a non regulated commercial brand of Duke, right? So this is explain to me what is the Duke Energy Sustainable Solutions component. Yeah, so Duke Energy has a regulated piece, which is your local electric company that we all love. And and, uh, and then there's also an unregulated piece, and they do wind farms and solar farms really all over the nation. In North Carolina, what they did in the last few years, they had a competitive bidding process. They just said, look, we will – whoever bids the – the least cost can bring on the best project, can build that solar project in North Carolina. So uh, our unregulated business actually beat out a lot of other companies to build those projects. So uh, so it's just really competition, and really customers benefit that from that. I mean, we actually get a project built from the low-cost provider who can build it. And, of course, you know, those power purchase agreements basically pass through the customer. So the cheaper we can make those projects, the better for customers. What is the system right now for, if I wanted to put panels, uh, and I haven't kept up with the the policy on this stuff, but uh, and, and the regulations, uh, whatever, but like, am I allowed to put all these panels on my rooftop and sell it back to you guys, basically? Am I able to do that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, so we uh, from about 2018, I think we had about 6,000 customers in North Carolina who had solar panels on their roof. Uh, today, we have around 25,000. So hmm. we've had a rebate program for people who wanted to go solar, and that's kind of winding down here. But we've uh, had a lot of people going solar, and um, 
you know, it, it's a big financial decision. I think people should go into it with their eyes wide open, knowing it's a big financial decision. And some people love it. Some people regret it. But it's definitely something you can do in North Carolina, and Duke Energy's got plenty of customers doing it. So for uh, comparison here, 4,100 megawatts of solar power on the grid from solar powers roughly 800,000 homes and businesses at peak output. And I guess it, there was always a challenge about battery storage and the transmission. I think th- these are like the big challenges, right, with the with solar. Like, what do you like? Yes, you could generate it when the sun is out, but then what do you do with the power? How right. do you, how well, do you make it last? I think what you'll see in the future here is really you might have solar plants with a batteries uh, array at the site so that the solar is contributing to the grid during the day, but also charging that battery. And maybe that battery is needed on a, a winter morning like we have right here. You know, really the peak time of day for energy usage right now is early in the morning, like 7 o'clock. And, of course, you could say, hey, the sun's not out at 7 o'clock. That's true. So if you could have these solar uh, panels charging a battery that could discharge at 7 o'clock, and then within an hour or two the sun's coming up and these solar panels are working. So a lot of that's being, you know, talked about of how do we – continue to make energy available and affordable to people in North Carolina, and I think solar is a big part of that. But I think battery storage is some uh, new technology that we're seeing a little bit now. I think we'll see more of in in the future. Randy Wheel is from Duke Energy. Thanks for your time, Randy. Good to talk with you. Thanks so much. Okay, thanks, Pete. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Did you guys know that uh, a rocket is uh, it's been stranded in Earth's orbit for like seven years, and now it's on a collision course with the Earth? moon with the earth's moon sorry that was the rest of that statement yeah the earth's moon so it's gonna hit the moon i'll give you details on that in a second let me jump over here to dave first hello dave welcome to the program how are you what's going on hey pete enjoy the show thanks what's up um i'm conservative but i'm you know i can't i can't see that any conservative or anybody would be opposed to alternative energies i um, i'm not opposed um my 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 thing with uh from what i read on solar and you touched on it with the other gentleman, um, was uh, battery storage. I've, I've just read that there's like some insane amount, like 7 million or trillion terawatts of, of solar hit the earth every day. And, you know, the, the problem is we, we could power everything we need, but with storage is always the problem. So mm-hmm. I wish, uh, I was hoping that we could have, ask that guy i know he said it was new technology but well and that's well when we actually we did discuss this uh when i had him on the show uh, a month or so ago when i was out at the uh the auto show and randy was out there uh with the electric vehicles and um and so i had him on and we were talking and we talked at the time about like smaller nuclear plants that they're look that these mini plants that they're looking to build all over the place um uh-huh. and uh because again an all of the above kind of strategy but that it came up at that time too the discussion turned to the storage component of the uh like the electric vehicles suffer this same sort of issue like how yeah. do you keep the charge uh for a long period of time and how do you store that energy that's that's the problem, and that's the the science-y kind of challenge that people are, you know, going to have to figure out. And until they do, then I don't know how competitive some of these exactly. technologies exactly. get to be. But, uh, but yeah, like uh, like you said, like I'm I'm all for it. Like if you can give me a completely clean source of energy, and I don't even know if something like that exists, but if you can give that to me and it powers stuff and it's cheap and reliable, why wouldn't I exactly. use that? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm all for a competitive marketplace offering us options. The, but we the, should, we shouldn't tank the energies that we can produce now for you know, gas fossil fuels at the moment. But mm-hmm. into the future, you know, when we, when that storage problem's fixed, oh man, let's make the switch. Right. But I'm like, but don't tank the economy or whatever just because of your green ideas, you know, that right. aren't ready yet. Right, exactly, and that's where and that's where a lot of the folks lose me is that they feel like the only way to convince me to their cause is to tell me that I'm going to die and the whole planet is going to be destroyed, <laughs> yeah. and uh, that's not a persuasive argument for me because I don't believe it. Um, no, and no. yeah, I mean, it, while that might work for the neurotics and the hysterics that populate the left, it doesn't work on people on the right, generally speaking. And I don't know why that is. There's a different kind of approach to thinking through problems, I think. And so, uh, and and an attitude just in general. So I, I think it's just not persuasive. Lack of critical thinking skills, that's what I say. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, hey, uh, Dave, I appreciate the call, man. Thanks so much. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. All right, see ya. Um, all of the above. I'm not for the subsidies. I don't like... I'm not. I, I don't like giving people a bunch of money to make these choices because it's a thumb on the scale of... You know, in the marketplace. Although I do recognize the value. This is this goes back to the founding of the country, where they talked about infant industries. You know, when you're talking about foreign trade deals and the like, you want to have uh, some protection and and you want to foster some infant industries to get them going, get them off the ground, that kind of thing. So there was among founders there 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 was an idea that you wanted to do some limited versions of these things in order to get industries up and running, but it was never meant to be. Per- uh, you know, in perpetuity. Um, and yes, I am aware people will argue that the fossil fuel industry, they get subsidies. And so if they're getting subsidies, then the solar people and the hydro people, like everybody should get subsidies. Or, you know, you could go the other direction and like nobody gets subsidies, but for some reason that's never part of the equation. I wonder why it's always, it's always everybody gets more, but no, but never, nobody gets any. <laughs> um, all right, so there is a rocket ship. It is right now circling our planet, and it's about to uh, it's about to fling itself into the moon. I don't know how worried I'm supposed to be about this, but generally I'm not. I'm not worried, but I'll give you details after this update from the WBT News Center and Mark Muller. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. So, yeah, there's a rocket from SpaceX. Elon Musk, he sent this thing up there, and it's been just, like, hanging out up there, just circling, circling. It got stranded up there in the orbit. For, like, seven years it's been up there. No, I do not know if the person who sent it up there was wearing an offensive Hawaiian shirt. I don't know. But this thing has still been up there for seven years, and now it's on a collision course for the moon. There is nobody on it, by the way. It's crewless. Okay. The Falcon 9 rocket launched by Elon Musk's space exploration company in 2015 was part of an interplanetary mission to send a space weather satellite. Wait, is there is there weather in space? Why do we need to know what the weather is like in space? It's a vacuum. Why? Oh, it's a satellite. In, it's a... Sp- oh, I gotcha. Anyway... Uh, it's going to be, yeah, so they were, they, the idea was to launch this thing up there and uh, send it off a million, oh no, a million miles into the final frontier. That's, they were going to check out the weather a million miles away. 
after breaking through the Earth's atmosphere and launching the weather satellite towards its destination, reports TheBlaze.com, the rocket's second-stage propulsion boosters malfunctioned, stranding it in orbit with not enough power either to advance or to return to Earth. It's been stuck in limbo, interplanetary purgatory. Bill Gray is a data analyst. He tracks objects in space near Earth. We all got to have hobbies, I guess. Um, He observed that the stranded rocket will finally break free of its interplanetary purgatory, expecting it to crash into the moon in about a month. In about a month. So maybe we should be planning like some moon crashing parties or something. Right? I wonder, will we will we be able to see it? Like, cause, I mean, I don't know. I have no idea. Like, I think if something is going to be like entering the moon or like, I don't know, the moon, the moon doesn't have an atmosphere, I guess. So, But wouldn't it be like going really, really fast? And if it hits the side of the moon, it could leave like a crater. I imagine we might be able to see the dust. Maybe. I don't know. New crater on the face of the moon. It's been a while since anything's happened at the moon, really. I mean, if you think about it, it has been a while. There is some uncertainty as the Falcon 9 remains in a perpetual state of suspended freefall. It is difficult to predict the exact effect that sunlight, for instance, might have on the rocket's trajectory. Wait a minute. The sun could have an impact on where the rocket goes? This thing that's just floating around out there? It's believed to weigh about four tons. And it's traveling at a velocity of about 2.58 kilometers per second. Two and a half kilometers per second. And yes, I said kilometers. I don't regret it. I'm going to keep saying I'm not even going to give you the mileage conversion for that. Because honestly, I think we really do need to get on with the metric system. I just, I really feel like we need to do that. It does not make me anti-American. It's just, it's a better system. It's easier. Look. I mean, like, you're asking me to choose between remembering a whole bunch of numbers and conversions and stuff versus this other system that's based on tens. And that's way easier for me. So, unfortunately, like, everybody else seems more content to just keep sticking with the... And myself included, by the way, like, I, this really came... This really came about, like, I'm I'm taking measurements and stuff in the... Uh, so we're, we're getting ready to close on our house. It's finally finished uh, getting built. It was part of a neighborhood. And so uh, we're finally getting ready to move in, which, by the way, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be off for a couple of days as I move in, hopefully, fingers crossed. And so I've been taking some measurements, you know, to, uh, to, to set up the home office and that sort of thing. And so, all right, well, I'm trying to, like, plug these numbers in and work with this computer program. It's a website, whatever, where you can kind of, like, you know, do dimensions or whatever. And... Oh, my gosh, it's so annoying. Because, like, on some of the stuff, it's like, okay, this is, you know, 10 feet and, you know, 10.7. And it'll be like that in the, it'll say 10.7, not 10.7 inches. It's like 10.7. Like, that's not helpful. I don't know what 0.7 of a foot is. That's ridiculous. Who who thinks in these terms? See, so if I, but if I knew, if we were using the metrics, the metric system, I'm just... I'm just throwing it out there. Look, if you don't want to get on board with the metric system, that's fine. I'm not trying to get old Jimmy Carter on you. But may I interest you in Votainer instead? You can sign on to... Okay, I'll stop. So Harvard astrophysicist Jonathan McDowell 
he sent out a tweet about this um, Falcon 9 wayward rocket. He says, for those asking, yes, an old Falcon 9 second stage left in high orbit in 2015 is going to hit the moon on March 4th. It's interesting, but not a big deal. I mean, maybe not to an astrophysicist. I mean, maybe when you're looking out into space all day long, like you see all of these things floating around and like you see satellites hitting the moon and rocket ships hitting the moon all the time, but I don't. This is the first it's the first time I've become aware of it. But um not the first time I've become aware that a, a study shows that the pre-K stuff doesn't actually do much good. This has been one of the worst kept secrets in education. It's for real. Like in the education media world, it is amazing what a pass pre-k gets despite years of studies that undermine its benefits i got another one i'm going to get to uh the cms the cms board of education they had their meeting this week and they covered a whole bunch of things i was going to do this yesterday but then uh, somebody leaked out that Stephen Breyer was quitting so uh, we got kind of derailed but charlotte mecklenburg school board members discussed staffing shortages, the distribution of clear backpacks, and more, including how they're not very good at what they do. I'll get into it in a minute. Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. So, Queen City News, fox46.com, reporting the Charlotte-Mecklenburg School Board of Education members discussed staffing shortages the distribution of clear backpacks at CMS high schools, and more during Tuesday night's meeting. Superintendent Winston, uh, Ernest Winston, said that although COVID cases are slowing down among students and teachers, they are still battling severe staffing shortages. Winston said uh, there are uh, 1,400-plus students, 367 staffers who tested positive just this past week. Since the start of the year, CMS has averaged 1,000 teacher absences each day, Uh, But Winston said as of last week, they're now averaging 400 absences a week. Um, And Atrium uh, Health donated 150,000 masks. These are the KN95 masks, so any teacher who needs one can request them free of uh, cost to them. Uh, Which I think the uh, the reduction in the... um, So we saw this, you know, the beginning of the school year thousand teachers absent every day now that number is declining and i think that that shows that the mask mandate is working right i mean the right the surge in the absences proved that the mandate was working and then the drop-off also proves that the mask mandate is working so good job everybody it's almost like whatever the data comes in whatever it is whatever it shows it always results in the same conclusion that the, the mandates work. <laughs> um, email here, uh, or sorry, a uh, uh, tweet concerning the clear backpacks being distributed. Couldn't a weapon be hidden between books or folders, rendering the backpack useless for its intended purpose? Uh, yes. Oh, all right. I mean, yeah, obviously. Also, I could hide the I could hide the weapon somewhere else. I mean, unless it's like a really big weapon, then no, it, you could not. But like you could hide it, I guess you could wrap it in a sweater or something, stick it in there. Right. I mean, it's all about layers, 
when you're talking about security, it's all not just the sweater, but like it's all about layers of security. You know, there isn't one silver bullet. There isn't one thing that can solve all of the potential problems. So you try to have multiple layers to catch as much as you can, you know, from, va- you know, in, from various uh, threats. That's all. Um, I don't have any problem with the clear backpacks. I, I don't. I, I mean, I'm kind of curious to see how they actually work, if they work, or if it's just going to be a big waste of money or whatever. But you want to give it a shot? Let's see. We'll see how it goes. I I don't know. Um, I tend to think that most of the time when people show up looking to do harm, though, they're going to show up with it on their person. You know, the if they have like a weapon, a firearm or a knife or something, they're going to just show up with that weapon. Um, now, there was another... Um, Oh, hang on. Clear backpacks will be distributed to CMS high schools within the next few weeks. Superintendent Winston also mentioned that the board was considering using body scanners similar to the ones used at Bank of America Stadium. Well, now, isn't that interesting? I thought there was I thought there was like a good bit of resistance to that idea. Right. Initially, there was initially it was, oh, we can't do that. I remember like the police chief was, I don't like the way it looks and. Superintendent, I don't like the way it looks. and I don't know if we can do that, but apparently they've come around on it. So, I mean, as they should. So good for them, right? If it works in other districts, try it here. Um, there was also uh, a consultant. I've been watching this for a while, and unfortunately, it's just it's really it's really dry kind of stuff. So I don't have any audio. No, Pete, please, we want audio from the school board. No, I'm kidding. But uh, I don't, like, I watched it, and I was going to go through and pull the audio clips and stuff, but I was, you know, I mean, I value my sanity, and I was, uh, like, about six or seven inches away from the pencil, like, going right into the eyeball, into the brain. So I just, I said, no, I'm not going to do that. So I just, I watched it, and I'm just going to relay to you what this consultant, he's, uh, they brought him in, and he's been trying to help them function better as a board, all right, to be the best board members that they can be. Um, and, I mean, yes, the, the jokes write themselves here, particularly when you're talking about a school board, but this is not new, okay? I remember 20 years ago when the school board, they did the big Broad Foundation thing, and they had the Broad folks come in, and they started using all of the language. It's it's very similar, these types of things. It's like, um, it's like the new fad in corporate world, too, um, they, cause they, they started talking in terms of like below the line, they would say this below the line in a corporate setting, but also from the Broad foundation, they would, so you started hearing these school board members talk about how things were below the line, meaning we need to stay up here at this, you know, grander, higher policy level. We don't need to go below a line and get involved in all of these day-to-day operational things, Right. And and I get it, like, you know, in corporate world, mission creep they call it, and you can you get you know boards of directors or managers that get too focused on the minutia, right? They start micromanaging things, and you don't want that, right? So you got the school boards; they've been doing this sort of stuff for a while, and it's very similar in education in general, where they've you know, Common Core was one of them, No Child Left Behind was another them, another one. So uh, the critical race theory, like all of these pedagogies that they come up with, and, and it's just a way, in my opinion, it is a way to deflect attention away from the fact that they're really not making improvements. 
right? They're not. And so they they spend about seven to nine years rolling out some sort of a new way of doing it, and it doesn't work, and then they move to another new way of doing it. And again, this happens in the corporate world as well. I'll never forget the one, the funniest one was the, the, the fishes, the throwing of the fishes. This was a big deal at uh, DSS for a while, back in the early 2000s. Mecklenburg County DSS, they were all throwing fishes. It, I'm not kidding. They, they had they had fish like they were stuffed animal fishes, like the little dolls, plush toys, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So they had all these these stuffed fishes, not like taxidermy stuffed, but you know, soft plush doll fishes. And they would throw them at each other in the office environment. And this whole management philosophy, whatever, was based off of the Seattle fish market. <laughs> somebody made somebody made some analogy about the Seattle fish market and how you throw the fishes to each other or something just like they do in Seattle. Hey, and so everybody throws the fishes. Hey, look at that. And then you make bank as a consultant. Uh you go around to unsuspecting uh middle managers and you sell this thing and people are like, "This is going to make us work so great together." And then they throw fishes at each other and then it doesn't work and then they just get stuck with a lot of this merch. The merchandise. So, yeah, I don't know. But that was, the uh, to me, that was the most comical one. Like, I could just envision <laughs> these people around the, the cubicle farms just chucking fishes at each other all day long. Like, I could see where that could go off the rails pretty quickly, right? You work with some people, and you're like, hey, I told you to get me that Form 7220, and whack, you know, you chuck a fish at their face. Like, I could see that going bad. <laughs> maybe that's just me or maybe it's any maybe this is just something that people in radio recognize because there are people that i have worked with over the years there's a whole category they call them throwers it's harder now with the digital stuff everything's gone computer but back in the day there were these cart tapes many a uh, cart tape whizzed past my face <laughs> 